What is up? How you living? How you doing? How you feeling? It is the L-E-F-K-O-E man, and it is another Card Talk Friday. And I just made that up. That's not the official name of it. But I have with me today, uh, we, we talked last week, you saw from Josh, uh, Cardboard Chronicles. This is the other half of the card ladder. He answers my DMs. He has an extensive Michael Jordan collection, and I don't even know his last name. I just know him as Chris House of Jordans. And Chris, I'm, I'm being fucking serious. I was going to text you. I was going to look it up, and I thought it'd be better if I do it on, on the podcast. I don't even know your official last name. Chris Hoge. Like, Hoge bombs all day for the hobby. I love that. So, wait, H-O-J, House of Jordans. But no, that's really not, that's not my last name. My last name is McGill. I have a very boring vanilla last name. Damn. Um, and also, I want to give a shout out to your girlfriend, Christina, also does incredible work on the card ladder, also is very big in the hobby. She has her own podcast too, Christina's Corner. The name of your podcast, where can people find it? I want to get that right off the bat. Thank you, man. Uh, House of Jordans, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, all the major platforms. Just search House of Jordans, you'll get to it. Um, there are so many places to start. Uh, I before we came on, Chris said he, he thanked me for being in the hobby, uh, which uh, I've, I've, I've literally been texting with my friends from home all morning, trying to get them in. And beyond the talk about investments, beyond the talk about enjoying sporting events while having your cards, I also say to all of them that everyone in the hobby is they're the smartest sports fans that I've talked to, and they're the kindest sports fans that I talk to. This is bigger than gamblers. This is bigger than fantasy. Um, I just want to know for someone that's been in it for a while, what have this last year, four or five months been for you to to have the long game in your rear view, but to experience what's going on now? The last four or five months in the hobby, I don't think anybody saw it coming. Um, it's been a roller coaster ride. Uh, we saw, you know, when when COVID nineteen hit and it shocked the world. Um, you know, it, it put the hobby into a period of uncertainty that we'd never seen before. And the result was an unprecedented, unexpected surge in interest in sports cards. I think, you know, people have pointed to a lot of reasons why that happened. Uh, but, you know, we saw cards of the marquee athletes, 5X, 6X, um, since COVID-19 hit. Uh, it's been uh, exhilarating. It's been terrifying. It's been, uh, above all, extremely fun. Yeah. Everyone that I talk to, from people that work at big institutions within cards, whether that's grading or auction houses, big collectors like yourself that really care, people that are just kind of in it for the flip, I think everybody's kind of looking at each other and they're all going, man, I don't know how long this can last. I talked about this with Josh last week, that everyone's trying to predict the end of the bubble instead of enjoying it and, 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 and being a part of it. Uh, how do you mix the, the joy with the fear? How do you do that? Well, yeah, dude, enjoy the ride. We put out a podcast titled that when the Last Dance documentary was going on and Michael Jordan cards were going crazy. Um, enjoy the ride is great advice. Uh, but, you know, I'm bullish on sports cards. Um, and, and the reason why is because I look at the fundamentals that have supported and made sports cards such a passionate, you know, hobby, the hobby, as we call it. Uh, because once you get into it, you really don't have any more hobbies. It's, it just becomes the hobby. 
bro. Right? And so Facts. my hobby right now is that I can walk into the post office and the lady goes, good to see you again. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I am here way too much. Yeah, exactly. Man. So I, I'm bullish on it because I look at, you know, what are the things that that make sports cards such a robust market? And it's, you know, first and foremost, their nature is collectibles. Um, you know, that's what sucked me in uh, back when I came back to the hobby was just this uh, this innate desire to want to own cards and, and to want to connect back to. So, like, I came back into Michael Jordan cards, right? And this will be a good example. Uh, a lot of us who are in our 30s what year are we and talking? some who when you, when are, you say got back, what year? Uh, 2016. Uh, 2016. Okay. And so a lot of us, you know, who are in our 30s or, you know, maybe a little more vintage in our 40s, uh, we watched Michael Jordan during his prime years. And that was also a, a time of great expansion for sports card collecting. And then a lot of us took a break from sports cards after the 90s. And we all sort of, uh, you know, spontaneously, independently came back to the hobby at the same time in the 2014, 2015, 2016 range. And we all sort of had this nostalgic connection to childhood to a period of time that was, that was carefree and that, you know, lets us sort of have an escapism that, that takes us away from providing for family, the nine to five grind, stuff like that. And so you, you sort of stumble into these relationships, these networks, connections with other people who are going through and experiencing the same thing and reaching back and connecting to one of the happiest points of their lives, which all happens through collecting sports cards. I don't see that changing. Um, I, you know, I don't see the escapism going away. I don't see the collectability of these items diminishing. I see it going in the opposite direction. And where that insight comes from is, is I just introspect. And I look at myself and I say, the hobby makes every day of my life better. Being able to wake up and check my eBay save searches, check all the group chats, hit social media, hunt that next card or sell something to try and fund a new card. It makes life so much better, man. I, I, I shudder to think about what life would be like right now without the hobby. Half of the reason that I'm frantically texting my friends from home to get in is because I want them to win like I'm winning right now. Uh, I, the, the, you say you go to eBay save searches. I go to card ladder and I go, oh, I went up 1.8%. Let's fucking go. And I feel better about my day. So I want them to win. But also it's because I want to talk about this all the time. So if I can get my best friends to get into it, then we can talk about it. This is a note for everyone out there. Um, I have a lot of young people and I have people that, that have podcasts that hit me up. They DM me and they go, I want to be on your podcast. Or they go, come on my podcast. I get a lot of them. But the thing that I respect about Chris is that Chris reached out to me and he sent an email and he goes, here's three bullet points as to what I would talk about if I came on your podcast. And I, and I hope that's okay that I share that. Because just like if, if you're flipping sports cards, it requires effort to learn about them. It requires a hustle to make connections because if you can make those deals without paying fees, but you have to build and you have to really strive for things. It's the same thing with podcasts. So I just want to say I fucking appreciated that. And someone's going to look at what your answer just was and they're going to say, okay, well, that gets Chris excited Currently, I'm not excited by cards, so maybe it's just a him thing. Your first bullet point, I think, is, is awesome that you want to talk about, which is comparing sports cards to stocks. Yeah. Traditional investments that people are very okay with putting their money into in terms of alternative investments. 
And they're going to look at what you said and go, oh, that's just the last four years. You know, maybe it's just a bubble. What can you look at the long term of sports cards and the long term of stocks that might give someone that's not in it right now more comfort and perspective? Well, um, I don't know that any anecdote or analysis can can solve that problem for somebody. I would advise them to, you know, immerse themselves in sports cards and, and learn as much about it as they can. But I do have a story that I think uh, helps put everything into perspective and and can and, and can excite somebody. I think when they hear about it. So let's do a thought experiment. Suppose that you had or I had one thousand dollars, and we had a time machine, and we could go back to 1986, and we could invest it into whatever we wanted to. Well, two important things happened in 1986. One was Microsoft had its IPO, uh, twenty-one dollars a share. I think it was March 13th, 1986. Uh, you could buy into Microsoft. Microsoft is well known as one of the great blue chip stocks of all time. My grandfather used to regale me with stories of how well the stock had performed and he had bought in early. And so if you had put $1,000 into Microsoft in 1986 at the IPO, it would be worth about $3.4 million today, assuming that you reinvested all dividends and taking into account stock splits. So $1,000 to $3.4 million over 34 years, that's an amazing performance of stock. Uh, but what if instead we hopped in the time machine and we said, we went to a hobby shop or a card show and we said, we've got a thousand bucks. Let's buy some 1986 FLIR boxes. Now, quick aside, why is 1986 FLIR important? Uh, it's, the, it's, it's one of the most important sets in basketball, even though it's not the rookie year of Michael Jordan and Elijah Juan and all those guys. It's considered the rookie set for those guys. We don't need to get into the, the, the weeds of why. Very important set, 1986-87 FLIR basketball. Those boxes, according to reports, uh, contemporaneous reports from people who were active in the hobby at the time, who have published about it later on, those boxes were selling for about $10 a box, mm. uh, even down to five. There, there were some reports of dealers who couldn't even give them away. Okay. Uh, so let's go with $10 a box. We could have bought a hundred boxes with our $1,000 and we just put them in a closet and forget about them. The last time a sale of that box was recorded, uh, to my knowledge, was a gold in the Golden Spring auction, and it was an authenticated sealed box, untampered with. So this is this is like March, April, March and April, right? So this is before the recent four or five months boom where we're breaking and shattering records. Indeed, Indeed. that's why okay. I like to use this number too. It's it's a more you know conservative number. Uh, it it sold for one hundred nine thousand dollars one box. So you know. Uh, Using that as the market value of the box, we're talking about uh, just shy of $11 million in 1986 FLIR boxes that you would have had you spent $1,000 on those boxes back in 1986. So, you know, just to, to make it concise and to sum it up, had you bought the great blue chip Microsoft stock in 1986, you have $3.4 million today. Uh, had you bought 1986-87 FLIR basketball boxes, you'd have $11 million. Uh, so it, it's a it's a fun way to tell that story. A couple caveats that are important to attach to that: stocks and cards are not perfect analogs. Stocks are more liquid; they're more accepted by lay people and financial advisors as investments. Cards, you know, if you wanted to sell 100 boxes, you'd have to do it pretty strategically. You wouldn't just want to flood the market with 100 of them, etc. That's important to note that it's not a perfect apples to apples comparison. But I think it kind of tells the story of what has happened to the sports card industry. And, you know, I have some reasons as to why. I don't know if you want to 
get into that so much. Of course I want to hear it, man. Well, you think about it, man. I can hear the preparation in your voice, which fucking gets me excited because I, <laughs> I, I just, I love that shit. How could you not love this? It's, it's, it's such, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I just love this stuff. I could, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to go to sleep because I just want to keep studying and thinking about this stuff. But I have been up until 2.30 or 3 a.m. every night this week, every night, trying to find, I'll, I'll show you this. This is my top 25 players of all time, my list, and I have it broken down into PSA 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 in terms of their base, what the pops are, what they're typically going for. I'm just trying to find places that are off. And then I have on the right side, other variations that maybe people haven't looked at yet because it does now we're going to get into this later, but I mean, I'm, I'm looking at NFL quarter. I'm looking at wide receivers, running backs, like all of that stuff. But uh, to, to, uh, let me turn it back to you. Cause you were going somewhere more uh, historic. Oh dude. I, I love that list though. I love that. That's okay. But uh, cause it's also people that I want to collect and that I like, like I'll look at the greatest lists of all time and there might be great money in John Havlicek. He just doesn't do it for me. If I looked at a John Havlicek card, I'd be like, that's worth, I wouldn't be like, this is why I love this card. And so I think people, when they get in it, they see numbers and they want, and I, I need to mix numbers with also likability for me. That's, I think that's the winning recipe, man, is if, if you can tap into your collector intuition, you're probably not the only person who's seen it that way. And that, and that will steer you right more often than wrong. Uh, but the thing is, when you when you think about sports, man, uh, you know, you had Gary Vee talk about how athletes are just, you know, absolute superheroes in society. And sports have become such a focal point of society. They've become a common currency, a common language that we talk about. Like, when, you know, when I'm meeting people for the first time, we, one of the first topics that I reach for to see we have it in common is sports, fandom, teams. Can we talk about basketball? Can we talk about football? You know, do we have this? Not only that, just to, to, to give a peek at, I'm sorry for interrupting again. Yeah. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, noon Eastern. The NBA just announced after postponing the games last night, they're going to not play games today. This, this podcast is coming out a week later. And for the second time this year, and probably it's more than that. The NBA back in March pretty much started quarantine and coronavirus by saying we can't play these games and society followed. Then a little bit later, they showed the right way to handle it by creating a bubble and everybody wearing masks and showing an example. And now with Jacob Blake, the NBA says we're not standing for this. And then every other league is going, maybe we shouldn't do this. Businesses, people are calling in. It's sports lead culture oftentimes sorry back to you beautifully said man and it, it, it is it's such a timely topic because lebron Kawhi, you know the reports that have been coming out these guys are leading the charge and they're leading you know social movements and they're they're changing culture and they're changing the discussions that we have in our living rooms and our houses and they're moving the ball forward to use a sports metaphor uh, it's it's amazing man and, and these guys are so important to culture and to society as collectors, you know, we gravitate to them. We love to cherish and celebrate their accomplishments through sports cards. So you have sports and, you know, it, sports weren't always this focal point of society. And, and you sort of think back to why, how did the stock market become such a focal point and such an important investment category? And why did it, you know, come to hold such a, such a central place in, in society? And business and entrepreneurship once was, you know, maybe the most important section of the newspaper. 
And but the, the most entertaining section these days is definitely sports. You know, uh, if, if you turn the page or metaphorically do it online, go we go to the sports section, man. We love to consume sports. We love to talk sports. Sports has permeated all aspects of life. Sports cards are a terrific way to get involved with sports, to have a little bit of skin in the game. And you can do it on so many levels, man. You had a, an amazing rant uh, about how sports cards, you know, are sort of the stock market of sports. And, and it was, I don't need to recap it here, but the way you laid it out was amazing. There's also the collecting aspect of it, just ca- you know, capturing historic moments. You, you know, the, 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 the TikTok that you made about the mellow LeBron Wade card, and you said, look, man, look at all this history that's in this card. That gets me yes. hyped up, man. I love to see yeah. stuff like that. I'm going to do a lot of those. because what I'm. And what's funny is, is what it made me do when I did that card was it made me look at all of my cards front and back and go, what are the stories that I like? And I realized that about half of my cards don't have stories that I like, and they're just cards. And those are the ones that I'm going to move. But the other ones, I want to tell those stories because I think what, what you were saying, it touches on all these, these aspects. There's a huge market for fantasy football. There's so much money, billion-dollar industry. What, from what I just saw in the bubble with NBA sports cards, with how they react, with TJ Warren's cards and Michael Porter Jr.'s cards and Bull Bull, you're telling me that in NBA fantasy circles, people aren't like, you need to get Bull Bull on your team. It's the same thing. When I look at gambling, huge billion-dollar industry, DraftKings and FanDuel, I read advertisements for them all the freaking time. And in gambling, there's aspects of this. It's the same thing. Those quick flips. Ooh, can you do this? Then it's got it, and I've I've done this all before, but all of those huge markets that people are always trying to get into that involve sports, all of them are combined in this. It's it's so true, man. And you know, one of the things that's always been missing uh, is is the ability to like share it with people. How can you like show it to people? I've been at parties, you know, before, and like I'm trying to explain to people why I'm so excited about sports cards. I had an experience like a year a year and a few months ago when the Michael Jordan PMG green had just sold. And I'm like, look at these eBay completed listings. And I'm pointing at my app and people are just like, what are, what is this man? Like what I don't eBay come like, what is it? Okay. But that's why, you know, to, to make a small shameless plug, we created card ladder, right? It's, it's because, you know, if you went to Google right now and typed in Tesla, one of the first results you're going to see is a graph of its stock and you can change the period that you're looking at it. It tells a story. Stock tells stock prices tell a story. When you go to card ladder and you type in a card's name, it's going to take, you can type in a player's name and get hundreds of cards of that player. If it's like LeBron or somebody like that, or you can type in a card's name and you're going to see a picture of the card. You're going to see a graph of its all time sales. because it tells you the story of it. You're going to get links to learn about the card, that type of information. I think, you know, you, you just send a screenshot to somebody of it. You just show them like, look, this people understand graphs. People understand people all look the at time. a beautiful card, you know? So like th- that's one of the missing pieces to the link. Of, of explaining to people how sports cards work is just making the information digestible to people in a way that, that resonates with them. You know, so now if I could go back in time to that, to that party I was at, right. Yeah, I would yeah. just show them the graph. I would say, here's what the card looks like. Here's what the graph looks like. Here's what's been happening with that card. And it makes a lot more sense to people. Um, have you bought any cards with somebody like shared purchase? Man, I'm such a, uh, to put it euphemistically, a passionate collector, that it's hard to do that. <laughs> it's hard to co-own cards with another person, especially like one card. But I have done it before. Why, why do you ask? Have you? Well, I did it. I did it two nights ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with my dad, 
and I'm very excited about it because it's one of those things where I, I, I start bringing everything back to sports cards now where someone will be like, you know, my boss says I have unrealized potential. And I'll be like, I've been saying the same thing about Moses Malone cards. <laughs> They're fucking so underpriced. But the other, the other night, that's why I'm wearing my guy right here, Moses Malone. This is the parade after they went uh, faux, faux, faux uh, in 83. I got, I split a Moses with him and I split a Jerry West with him because I told him, I was like, it's the one I sent you. And I, I was like, I was like, bro, if we're getting into this, I was like, give me your favorite players. And so he starts naming off like Pistol Pete and Moses Malone and Jerry West. And I was like, I love the logo and I love Moses. And I had like a 15 minute conversation the other day about best Moses Malone moments. And otherwise we'd be talking about all the other shit in the world. And so I'm, I'm, I'm using it as a tool of connecting with people because I know like I convinced another friend of mine to buy uh, a football card. I'm not going to say the name of the card. And last night it sold for triple what he paid a month ago. And I took a screenshot and I sent it to him and I said, Hey, look, and I have not texted about him since. And he goes, holy shit. And I go, I'm telling you, I go, you made a good investment. People, the market's reacting to it. And he goes, well, I want to get more. I go, we'll have a call tomorrow. And if like, we'll talk about it. But I think also people need to see that too. And, and because there's one thing about looking somebody and going, you agree that this guy is undervalued, right? And then you actually see it on something like the ladder and it just hits them right in the back of the face. It's awesome. Yeah, you, you need a way to present the information. I love that story. Um, I did something crazy. I, I was a summer associate at a law firm last summer uh, and uh, for my 2L year. And at my office mate, you know, we became good friends. And I gave him, which was a $50 card at the time, a Luka Doncic prison base 9.5. I gave it to him. Like, thanks for being a great office mate. Here you go. I sent him a screenshot of the chart of that card last week when it eclipsed a thousand dollars. And he just writes back. He's like, dude, I'm keeping this card for the long haul, man. These are such cool investments. I had never thought about it this way. And I was like, man, this is, I, I can't even believe this, but. I love that. I love that. Oh, wait. So what was your job? Cause now I would imagine card ladder and, and, and sports cards are your yep. job. What was your job before? Yeah, well, you know, I'm all in on sports cards, man. Um, and you know that I've always been a person. A very does that passionate. scare you, or does or like like? Because I'm sure people ask you, you're like, I don't know, what if like? Are you just you're so on the other side of it, like me right now, that you don't even see that side? Well, yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, um, before so like my my earliest profession was as a music producer. Um, a lot of people at that time were like, you know, that's crazy. Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, but I did it and it was amazing experience. Went back to school. That was great. Did law school. That was amazing. But man, I'm just, you know, when I get passionate about something, man, I got to do it. I just, I have to do it. And so cards have become that. And, but I've been very fortunate to have done well in cards and to have gotten into cards, you know, over four years ago and have picked up stuff that has 10, 20 X. Um, that's been, I've been very fortunate on that level too. It, I actually am having, so Nick Wright, it, that episode is going to come out earlier this week. And I often joke with him, how did he become the guy that got to argue that LeBron's the best player of all time? Like, 
Nick Wright wasn't on TV for 12 years while LeBron played and somehow that take fell in his lap. You and Josh, what I love is that he has LeBron and you have Jordan, which is the ultimate discussion. But amidst this boom, are there times where you just go, man, I'm happy that Jordan was the guy that I grew up in Chicago and he was the one that I loved because you could have been a John Starks guy. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like it, it could have been somebody else. Yeah, man, that was one of my great, you know, uh, lucky occurrences was being born into Bulls fandom and, you know, getting to experience the six titles. I was pretty young for the first few, but um, yeah, it was that, that very fortunate indeed. Man, Um, your second bullet point that you sent me is something that this is uh, an interesting discussion. I just experienced it on the good side of it, which is when you're selling a sports card, First of all, I was messaging you this to you a lot. I think there's a lot of people in the hobby that have never sold a sports card. And I think it's very important for them to experience that. Do you agree with me on that? I do. I absolutely agree with you on that. Uh, number one, um, it, it might not be as easy as it seems to liquidate a card. It's not. No. But but it's also uh, it's, it's a lot more fun than it seems as well. Um, you know, whoever, whenever you sell a card to somebody, uh, you know, and then they receive it and they're thrilled. And, you know, they make the shout out post on Instagram or they send you a message and they're like, dude, I got the card. I love it. Uh, you know, that's very rewarding. It's fun. It's also fun. Uh, you know, I, I have an entrepreneurial streak. I, I think you have one as well. It, it's fun to uh, buy and sell things. It's just a it's a fun experience. But, you know, it takes a little bit of skill and craftiness. Not not too much, though. Like se- cards sell themselves, man. Like, I, you know, if you put you price a card reasonably. It's going to go. And I, I think the, the thing that I would tell everybody is, is if, if you want to get into this, make a card account if you don't want it to change your algorithms and be active, you know, like like people's posts, comment on people's posts, post your own cards, because when it comes time to sell, you could post it on eBay and that's great. Uh, my slabs you have to apply for, guys. That's not something you can go on Facebook groups and all that. But if you create relationships in this, it's more fun to be like, oh, I like that. Or you post a card and somebody might reach out to you. But I I thought, oh, I was going to post this card. It was going to sell immediately. Not that easy. But I will say that, you know, when that money came into my account, I sold it in Mbappe. Um, I, if I'm going to really be honest on this podcast and I'm really going to share my opinions about soccer sports cards, I do think that they have value. I do think that they're a long-term play. I'm just going to say that I've seen a lot of Instagram stories and Instagram lives and Instagram posts of people going, holy shit, I just stumbled on a bucket of 2014 Prism, and that scares the fuck out of me. And I talk to people that are involved in grading, and they go, I'll tell you what, it's Yu-Gi-Oh, Pikachu, and soccer cards that are coming in to get graded. Do I believe that there's going to be a Zion amount? a Luca amount of PSA 10s? No. But do I think that we're going to see, do I think that people are trading 2014 and 2018 soccer prism because they see 200 on the pop? It. The reason that I don't have to worry about LeBron's pop is if somebody had a LeBron card for 17 years, why would they be sending it in for grading now? So that's my only thing about soccer. But I sold Mbappe before the championship game. He missed a fucking kick. I sold it for a number. It has dropped since then. But I didn't realize that this is something that happens in a lot of sports, that it's typically better to sell before the big event. And people want to go, 
let me wait until that guy gets into the Hall of Fame. What's a lesson that you can give everybody? Well, you know, you just crystallized it, but I'll give another anecdote that speaks to it as well. I think your anecdote is the best one. <clears throat> yeah, and it was so uh, bizarre when it happened. Uh, so Patrick Mahomes going into last season, we knew that Mahomes going into last season was going to be an all-timer, or at least a lot of people were thinking he was. So going into the season, um, you could get his key rookie card for $500 uh, as a PSA 10. It quickly shot up to $1,500. He hurt his leg. It retreated to about $800. These are normal fluctuations. Card prices changing in response to performance. Uh, makes sense. Logical, intuitive. Uh, leading into the playoffs, prices keep you know creeping back up. He gets to the $1,500 mark. Um, you get to the Super Bowl. I mean, Mahomes mania is in full effect. We saw, you know, uh, about 17 auctions end before the Super Bowl concluded on eBay. Average selling price was $1,750, an all-time high for the card. The market is going crazy. Like, that many copies signed in a day. Mahomes, you know, the, all the anticipation, the buildup, it's incredible. So, you would think if you were a collector, let's say you bought Mahomes in the playoffs thinking, hey, if Mahomes wins, these cards are going to go crazy. And you, let's say you bought in at $1,250 or something. You'd say, okay, it sold for $1,750 the day of the Super Bowl. I can't wait to see what it's going to sell for after the Super Bowl. After the Super Bowl, after a Super Bowl MVP, the card on Monday, it's down to $1,500. On Tuesday, it's down to $1,400. By three, four days after the Super Bowl, it got down to $1,100. And you know, you have to sit there and think, what? how can it be that a guy can make his ultimate achievement of winning Super Bowl MVP? Add a Super Bowl MVP to an MVP already on his resume. Exactly. And, and so how can a card lose 30 to 40% of its value uh, when the guy gets, you know, when he, re when he does everything he possibly could to add to his legacy within that season? And the explanation that I think is correct here is that what happens is, you know, you have a lot of people who are you know, buying Mahomes cards, but not to hold them for the long term, but to sell them and to try and you know, sell the peak, as they say. And if you get enough people who decide, hey, Mahomes just had this great accomplishment, now's a great time to sell it, you flood the market. And, and it actually opens up a great buying window uh, for collectors you know, and people who might be late to the Mahomes uh, Express. Uh, you know, they get to come in after the Super Bowl and buy Mahomes for cheaper than he was selling before he won the Super Bowl. So you, the, it, John Maynard Keynes has waxed a great length on this topic, but I think you can distill it to this. When you're playing in markets like this, it's not enough to just reason about, you know, what you think is happening, how it applies to you. You need to think about how other people are thinking about things also. You need to take it as many orders in that direction as possible. What are other people thinking? What are other people thinking that other people are thinking? Try and play out that scenario. And one of the things that you can conclude is that a lot of people were trying to sell the peak. But here's the, the end of that story. So the Mahomes got down to $1,100 after the Super Bowl, right? And like people are like, wow, this is bizarre that, that this would happen. Well, you know, February rolls around, March rolls around, COVID hits. Sports cards start going crazy. That same Mahomes card now is selling for between $6,800 and $7,000. That same card right now. And it did bump up 
when he signed that contract, didn't he? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And, you know, and that makes sense. And that's another thing is news triggers and excitement can sometimes pop it. It does. And so that's another aspect of sports cards, too, is that you can see a guy have like a big game on a Sunday night, but the sports card market won't fully internalize it until the news cycle has run its course. Um, so, you know, if you're really paying close attention to games and, you know, there's guys out there who will buy cards at halftime during during the quarters as they're passing by. If a player's, you know, having a I sold on. I sold my Luca base at halftime of the game where he hit the overtime shot. So I <laughs> I did not I did not get the peak. But and I don't know, maybe you know what? Let me ask you for advice right here. I sold my Luca base. Mainly because I looked at it, I'm trying to move that money into other cards I like. And because I tried to sell the cards, I saw what it was like to try and compete with a hundred other Luca sellers, where you're constantly trying to get underneath because they're all the same card. And for people that don't know, and I think I've talked about it enough, Luca's population is one of the highest in the hobby, 12,000 cards. And so for me, it was like, do I want a piece of Luca? Do I want to invest in Luca long term? Absolutely. But I don't think that's the card that I want to invest in long term. And I don't know what that card's going to get to. I also think it's the card that if the NBA were to shut down or if he were to get hurt, that would be the one that would be impacted the most. So I just wanted to realize profit on that one. But because I think people get so emotionally attached and they see Luca and they go, I have to have Luca in my portfolio. And mine is like, I. I'd rather do what I'm going to eventually have to do with Mahomes because I missed that, just like I'm missing it a little bit on Luka right now. And I know that it's all going to get bigger. I need to wait for when everyone loses confidence in them, which is kind of a sad thing, but it's like that's how I, I, I feel like I have to approach it. I don't know if that's crazy. Oh, no, man, I think that's incredibly wise. Um, and or, or, you know, you wait around for one of those sell-offs when a, a guy accomplishes something crazy and all of a sudden – uh, sellers think now's a great time to sell like pro tip. It's not, uh, the Mahomes case study is, is a great one for that. Uh, you, you want to, if, if you're trying to, it, it's very difficult to time markets, man. It's very, very difficult. That's what I've learned. That's what I've learned that I don't want to be a part of it anymore. No, it, and it's, it, you take, if you take more of a long-term perspective and you focus on cards that have innate collectability that people want to own them because you know, they, they enhance their collection and they tell a story about you and they ex, they're, they're an expression and there's something that you want to show off on social media. Those, those cards, man, uh, you know, they, they are not as subject to, you know, short-term fluctuations and there's always a market for them that outstrips the supply. I need you to take me into history and I need you to poke holes into something for me. That's how I see right now the vintage NBA market. These are defined amounts of cards that I believe have artistic value. I believe they have historic value. Uh, I have talked before about the 1980 tops and how it's Magic and Larry Bird's only rookie card with Dr. J on it. I've already said that I recently purchased myself a logo, a Jerry West. I look at this market and I, I look at something like Jerry West and how like from PSA 10 to PSA 4, I think that there's less than 750 cards that exist total. I look at this market and I look at how they're selling right now and it, it, it does feel like a land grab where people are like, this is art. I know that we saw something like this in 2016. I did not experience that. So if I could get perspective, but also where could I be wrong 
and a lot of people be wrong right now with vintage NBA? Well, uh, man, vintage NBA, vintage NFL, Jim Brown rookie cards. I mean, vintage is doing extremely, extremely well right now. That's not uh, something too surprising because especially with a lot of new market participants as they, you know, endure the playoffs, as they realize how difficult it is to become an all-time great, naturally interest gravitates to the people who already are all-time great. So that's exciting and it's and it's sort of predictable and, and I like that. I like that it, it's logical and it makes sense. And you said something, man, that I just want to touch on, but you said artistic value. Uh, man, that is such an important and appealing part of cards uh, to me and to a lot of collectors is that these cards are for us our art. And it, and that really movement came to a head in the 90s as a quick side note with, with the great arena design, the great artists who worked on these cards. The artistic aspect of this really matters. If I had friends come over and I set out, you know, a Jerry West rookie card and then I had some paintings on the wall people are going to gravitate to that Jerry West rookie card. And they're going to ask me about that long before they ask me about the paintings on the wall. Uh, so like this, this is our generation's art and it's exciting. It's intriguing. So I love that you mentioned that because I completely agree with that. So vintage. Um, one, let's think about the market fundamentals of vintage because, you know, we, we see with the Michael Jordan market, it, it's, it's been uh, infused with money by people who are age 35 to 45 who have you know careers? They're still escalating in terms of their peak career earning power, which usually happens in the early fifties, age range for most people. So like you can kind of make sense of like, well, there's more people coming in, they're making more money every year, they're going to buy more cars. It makes sense. When you look at vintage, the people who originally collected vintage are on a different trajectory. Um, you know, they're nearing retirement, or maybe they're retired, and so they're not looking to increasingly spend more money on sports cars necessarily as the years go by. So if the collector base for vintage is, is mostly retired people or, you know, veteran sports car collectors, well, you know, that maybe says we shouldn't expect that market to uptick. But if you have a new group of people coming into vintage and experiencing it and saying, man, I want to own a piece of this art. I want to be a part of this part of basketball history. I have my list of the greatest players of all time, and I want to have cards from these guys in my collection. This tells a story. When I share cards with people and I could pull out a Jerry West rookie card and an Oscar Robertson rookie card and a Julius Irving rookie card, and I could tell the history of basketball through these pieces of art, these cardboard art, well, that makes me extremely bullish on vintage sports cards. And it makes me say, like you, I think, angrily pointed out, these are truly limited in supply. And a lot of these guys have only one rookie card, only one. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you try to go back to the fundamentals. If I could explain to people, because it takes a lot of work to look through all the population reports and really look at them. When I tell everybody that Bill Russell's rookie card has zero PSA 10s and three PSA 9s, that's it. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, his rookie card has two PSA 10s. Wilt Chamberlain has three PSA 10s. Oscar Robertson has one PSA 10. Elgin Baylor, there does not exist a PSA 10 of him. And so when I tell you that Luca has 12,000 and Zion is on his way to 20,000 and the odds of that, of Zion ever becoming a Wilt or a Russell is not possible. And that when I, when I think about how we debate 
basketball and how next year is the 75th anniversary of the NBA. And when they had the 50th, they put 50 NBA guys on the court and said, these are the 50 greatest ever. And I'm thinking about how now Luca drops 41 and his card jumps up 25%. Well, what happens when, when a, a guy from the last 20 years gets named a 75 greatest of all time? I'm trying not to say certain people's names, but like, because that's the annoying thing with the hobbies. If I say a guy's name, but like if, if I'll say my buddy and I do have his card, if Dwayne Wade gets named a top 75 player of all time, that changes his status compared to Chris Bosh. It just does. And I, I, I look at it. That's, that's more of like an immediate play, but also that's how we talk about the NBA. When me and D Wade text, He'll go, who are your top five shooting guards of all time? And I'll go, okay, don't take offense. Jordan, Kobe, then you. And then like I'll I'll look at other people and he'll be like, okay, I agree on your top three. But like, that's all we do is go, who are your top five point guards? Who are your top 10 players? And so if if that's the discussions I'm always happening, I want to have the guys that somebody's going to be like, you know, you can make an argument for Kareem. I want to be a part of that. Oh, absolutely, man. Very well said. I, there's a lot of collectors who are going to love to hear that. Um, it's it makes. What are the holes, though? What 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 did you learn from this thing in 2016 that I was not a part of that I need to be wary of? Because right now I'm just pure optimism. Yeah. So in 2016, man, there was a boom of vintage cards and even like slightly post vintage cards. You know, vintage people might not consider like 1986 Fleer to be vintage. Uh, but you know, I'll just lump it in for now. There was uh, a a boom in vintage cards uh, that that was like perhaps you know most pronounced in vintage baseball. But it was in Michael Jordan rookie cards. It was in anything that had that old cardboard look. And uh, so, like to give an example, like the Roberto Clemente PSA eight, you know, went up and touched like seventy, eighty thousand um, dollars. After I you know posted a little thing about that on Instagram. I had a, a friend reach out and say, you know, I remember in 20, at the 2016 national, this Clemente sold for like 70,000. And then it, you know, it came all the way down to like 20 to 30 uh, within, within a year. And so what you have to look at that, you have to wonder what happened you, you know, there. And there's a lot of people who did a lot of great research on it. And I'll just give one uh, example of it because I, I think it helps tell the, I think it's, it's, it's insightful. So there was a, a member on a forum named Thunder Dan, who did a systematic analysis uh, where he went to eBay, he looked at all the auctions of, of all Michael Jordan rookie cards in, in PSA 8, 9, and 10, and he figured out by using the partially scrambled eBay user accounts and, and looking at the feedback score, which buyers bought how many copies of each grade of each card. And he unearthed uh, that there was one account that bought like upwards of 50 PSA 9 Michael Jordans within a four-year span. There was another one that bought five PSA tens, um, you know, and so you could you could sort of see here, you know, em empirically that there's a there was a limited number of people who were attempting to buy and corner the market on all these copies, and that that may have been happening with other vintage cards as well, leading to escalating bidding wars because you know you have people who are like, I'm going to pay whatever it takes to get as many of these cards as possible. I know these are limited. And then you have other guys who are just the normal market participants who are like, well, what the heck? These cards are going up. I suppose I need to increase my bid, increase my bid. And all of a sudden, you know, the market, because it's so short supply, it, it, it can absolutely explode quickly. But 
what, what was speculated, what happened was the, the buyers just sort of ran out of money. And so the bidding wars retreated, the cards came back down to their, you know, pre-surge prices. And, but, you know, like, so the 86 Jordan Fleer PSA 10 reached up and touched 42,000 in one auction. And then it came all the way down to 20 uh, within the year. But, you know, now that's a card that sells in the 75 to $100,000 range. So short-term, long-term, different perspectives, but but that could How happen, different man. does you, this wave of vintage feel compared to that wave of vintage? I, I don't know, man. I, I I don't. I wasn't as immersed in the hobby at that time as I am now, so it, it's it's hard to say. I, but but what I what I can say, I think, uh, with with a high degree of confidence, is that there's a lot more people in the hobby right now than there was then. It wasn't like 2016 was like, oh, there's this like wave of new people coming into the hobby. That didn't seem to be what was driving. The market what seemed to be driving the market was like whales trying to corner it um or at least that's what it, it people have have seemed to have uncovered what what seems to be happening today is that there's just a lot of new people coming in and and they all want and they all have their own preferences their own tastes the stuff that they like and and there's just it's, it's just overwhelming every segment of cards you can't you can't look at a segment of cards and not see a graph that's basically going parabolic so yeah when um I talk to my friends. I always tell them that the purchases that I made early on that scared me the most, the big ones, are the ones that have been the most rewarding. Mm. They Because what we're seeing right now is a lot of compound interest. And so the more you put in early, the more you get back late. And this is from a, a strictly having like, quote unquote, if we're investing. And I, I know that's a dirty word to some. But I do have a lot of friends that are like, listen, man, I'm looking for a, 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 an easier entry point and I don't know that much um, about, you know, which cards and they're sending me like cards that are like, I don't even know what brands they are. And they're like, what about this? This is this is still a guy. Um, how what, what do you tell to your friends that are just kind of getting in right now and they want an easier entry point? Ooh, um, I, you know, I, you know. <clears throat> I don't put too much emphasis on the investment aspect right away, even though it's a great hook. Um, even though it's a great, you know, you give somebody a Luca prison base at it 20 X's in a year and like, how can you not get hooked? But the, what, what I like to do is, uh, you know, t- uh, teach them to fish rather than give them a fish. And so like, look, like here's some ways that you can immerse yourself in sports cards. And if you're anything like me, you know, you're just going to go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole and carve out your own identity, make your own niche, figure out what you like. And so even if somebody were to come to me with like an off-brand card or like just some random thing and they're like, I love this. This is a great buy. Like I would say like, like, like honestly, you're, you're financially, that card's probably not going to perform well, but like, you know, if it's, give it a whirl, if it's what you like, because you will bump your head. You, I bumped my head that way so many times. Those have been the most instructive learning experience for me. It was when I buy a dumb card. Um, and then I learned very quickly to respect, you know, the traditions and, and the key brands and the key sets that the hobbies created. So, you know, I, I would just, it, 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 it's tough too, because like, you know, as more people come into the hobby, prices get more expensive and it gets more difficult to obtain cards. So like, that it's it's a tough balance to strike there because you want to share the joy but like all of a sudden you know you're competing against your friend for the same card and it's like oh i think it's the reason why all of us keep saying you need to do the work not because you need to do the work which i think is the one but two 
I don't have time to help you right now because this is going faster than any of us can understand. And the more time that I spend getting you up to speed, I am now at a disadvantage to really help you in the future is really how I kind of look at it too. (laughs) That's well said. I'm gonna have to borrow that one. Because it's just, um, I feel like every day that I'm not finding more stuff that I love, the price is going up and, and it's, it's intense and you, I just don't feel like I can wait anymore. Yeah. That's that I, I relate to that. Um, especially when you're talking about exceedingly rare cards, um, that don't come up often, you know, what is your, what is, do you have a grail? Have you achieved a grail? Like your biggest one? Yeah, I definitely have a favorite. A, a key grail card. Um, many more grails need to be achieved, but but I do have a grail. It's the 1997 uh, Skybox Metal Universe Precious Metal Gems Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, I know a previous guest has showed off the Kobe from the set. Uh, you know, I have the MJ. Um, it, it, from my point of view, man, uh, this is how I just talk about. This and we're card. and it's graded. What are we talking about? It, it is graded. It's it's just a humble PSA five. You know. Um, but as I've heard, PMGs are insanely tough to grade. They are. They're, they're especially with PSA. This card once was a BGS eight, and now it's a PSA five. So, you know, it maybe it needs to make its way back to a BGS case. But like, I consider 1997-98 Metal Universe to be the best set ever made. For me, PMG Red is the best parallel ever made, and Michael Jordan is the best player ever. So, you know, the way I think about this card, best set best parallel, best player. It's like my dream card. Right. And that's the nineties inserts to me. It it is very interesting. I I would love to have been a fly on the wall where they overproduced these card companies did the late eighties, early nineties. And everybody had a tops Barry bonds with the wood grain on the top. And they're like, this is going to be incredible. And then they were like, they experienced all this money and they said, let's invest in art. And I feel like because of that, we got 90s insert for basketball. And the, the what is it? The House of Heat, is that it? With the ball, the what the cards shaped like a ball? Oh, or yeah, the, hot, uh, shots. Yeah, hot shots. Hot shots. Yes. Um, it, and, and it's interesting because I think, and I talked about this with Josh, where when you first get in, you invest in bases because it feels safe and you don't want to get the wrong insert. Do you think we could go through another insert wave again? Do you think, or and do you think we're in it? Are there any inserts today that you think compare to back then? Oh, great question. And like, I do want to underscore something you said. You said uh, sports card manufacturers made a decision in the '90s to to focus on artwork. They definitely did. Josh has a great interview on Cardboard Chronicles with uh, Jean of Arena Design. <clears throat> she tells the story, like. Sports car manufacturers, to compete against each other, began investing more and more of their resources into technology and design and artwork and equipment and things like that. And so you saw technological innovations that happened in the 90s that still have not been replicated to this day, some of the production techniques. And like, there's reasons for that. It's partially because in the late 90s and the early 2000s, budgets shifted to player assets and like autographs and patches became where most most of the budget went and it no longer went into tech. But um, you know, is there an insert today or an insert wave coming? Like the, the insert wave has hit uh, for like Kobe and Jordan. And, and so, but I know guys who are buying other players from these same sets um, because, you know, with the Kobe and the Jordan are $10,000 and $5,000, like 
that's too expensive for for most people. That, uh, you know, so they they are looking at other players from these key sets. Uh, but there's but Panini man has done a nice job of bringing back inserts and 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 Panini loves it because they don't have to acquire player assets to make these cards. Right. So like they love it. So look, I'll, I'll say this. I remember when I first got in, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get some Mahomes cards. I'm going to send it to him. He's going to sign it and then it's going to be worth more. And then someone's like, no, it actually hurts the value. <laughs> and, and I was like blown away and I was like, okay, scrap that. And I think it's because people that are really in the hobby love good intention. I know that some people like autos and we like patches and there's nothing better than a beautiful patch auto. Like I get it. But when the style of the card is iconic, like a PNG, that's the art, you know, it, it, that's right out the package. That's what it is. And I, I think that it's, but it, it's also like, Hey Panini, you've made some shitty inserts too. Like I, I put up a poll recently where I was like, tell me what your favorite inserts were. And some people were like, giving me names like my house. And I was like, my house mosaic. I was like, what a bullshit ass, like no offense to whoever designed it, but I'm like, who it's the words above him. Like, uh, or my, I saw one recently cause I'll watch breaks and it was like stair masters. Ah. And it was a card where it's like the players are staring at people. Yep. And I was like, what? Like, who cares if they're staring at somebody? Like I, I, I there's good and bad. There is, man. And and they take risks and sometimes they just, you know, you don't know what what was think what was sign me up for color blast. I think color blast rivals some cards in the nineties. It does, man. Color blast is beautiful. Um, I hate that that insert set got established before its uh, inaugural NBA uniform release because I wanted the Luca badly, but it's too expensive. So it came out in 2019 in football. Yeah. So like there's like a Kyler Murray, for example. Um, Right. There's a Mahomes. Gorgeous, gorgeous cards. It came out in NBA draft products. Like you can get like a Zion Duke. I I would like to have one of those. So it's 2019 NBA draft. So we haven't even had – what about 2020? Well, the 2019 NBA insert was inserted into, into Spectra. So it was like a late season release. So like you just now have like the like the Steph Curry is selling for five thousand dollars. Oh, Luca yeah, is probably like fifteen to twenty. Uh, the LeBron, you know, there's it, we're we're still waiting for more comps to come in on that. But that's that's like a twenty plus k card. Mm. Um, you know, the, <laughs> these are because it's one per how many cases? I I don't know the exact odds, but Something I know that they're insane. extremely short printed. Yeah. Yeah. They're extremely short. What do you have any inserts today though that you would that you believe you really love? Well, uh, I don't love that many no. inserts right now that are that that have come out recently. How old were you when the PMGs came out? When so I was born in '86, so I would have been. Oh, me. You know, we're the same year. What's your birthday? Uh, July 10th. July 10th. May 8th. Okay. Nice. 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 So, do you remember? Like, what is your memory of PMGs? Like, what? where is it in your brain? Dude, uh, PMGs were so out of reach for me. Like, I would have read about it in Beckett and just, like, put it out of sight and out of mind. Um, and even when I came back to the hobby in 2016, uh, and I would read once more these epic message board posts about these PMGs, and, like, I would still put it out of sight and out of mind. I would just be like, this card is not attainable. I will never reach a point where I'm going to spend – you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a sports car. That's just not going to happen. 
uh, well, fast forward two years and it, it happened. Uh, but you know, that's, that's one of the things that can happen when you, when you're older and you can, you know, make financial choices and stuff. But uh, it was, it was completely out of mind, man. You know, the, the card for me as a kid was the 93, 94 ultra scoring Kings, Michael Jordan insert, you know, I would go to card shops and like, it would have the hundred dollar tag on it. I'd be like, I got $5 for a pack. You know, I'm never going to get this card. That was the first card I bought when I came back to the hobby was that card precisely for that reason to, to triumph over, you know, the stuff that I couldn't have when I was a kid. Think about too, how many people's grails were defined by their local card shop or where they grew up in regionality. Like I always say, I didn't grow up a big Jordan shoe wear. I grew up an Iverson guy because I grew up in Philly. And so when I got into the, into the shoe game, Everyone had Jordans. I was like, I got all these old Iversons and nobody really gave a fuck. <laughs> and if you think like your grill, the local card shop, the one that was put like separate yep. people, I, when I, when you're a kid, you go, Oh, that must be the grill in every card shop. And it's, it just wasn't the same. No. And like the fact that sports cards, no, like there's still regional effects in sports cards for sure. But the fact that we have eBay and my slabs and these uh, and Instagram and all these marketplaces and abilities to share stuff globally. Like we have a Luca collector group chat on Instagram. It's got guys from the Philippines, from uh, various places in Europe, from South America, from all the time zones in the United States. That chat never dies. Like I wake up to 800 new messages because guys are just going, going, going all day long. Like this international connectivity that we have, you know, is completely change what it means for something to be rare for something to be available for something to be regional it's, it's completely changed give me something in the hobby that uh you don't get that a lot of people are about but you're you just don't get it that is a great great question where where to even begin on a question like that? what popped in your head first uh man i so, some of the things that i don't get that, that like comes to my head first is like why um, why do we see things like Topps Project 2020 or soccer cards like absolutely go nuts? Like how does a person know that a card once sold for $5 three weeks ago and it's, you know, 250 now and they're still willing to pay that price. And then guess what? It goes up to a thousand um, and people are still willing to buy it. Like that stuff uh, mystifies me. Um, that's a market that moves way too fast for somebody like me. <laughs> to, to oh, I, it scares the crap out of me. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen it happen twice. Like Topps Project 2020 and like uh, soccer cards have both had meteoric rises. Um, you know, in, in like or like uh, the, the Rocks um, Hurricane Rookie card, you know, that, that thing just set another all-time high in a PSA 10. And the pop is like, tiny it's like less than 30 i think i i, I yeah it's it's very small. what fucked me up man was i was like you know i'd like to invest i'd like to i'd like to get some tiger i love tiger woods every time he's on tv it's must watch tv the red shirt i mean when we were growing up like he hit right in the peak of sports fandom and then i see people going you know his true rookie card might be the sports illustrated for kids card and i was like i refuse <laughs> I was like, I threw so many of them out as a kid, getting those magazines with the perforated cards and people, and now you're going to tell me that that's his true rookie. And I, I, I just can't, I can't get behind it. It's just, it, it's, it's can't, I just, yeah. Cause I, it, I think I'm like, I'm just angry at like 14 year old me. Dude, that's very true, man. You know, 
and, and, and there is like FOMO is like so real in the hobby, dude. Like that's, that is why I think people will see a card that was $5 three weeks ago is two fifty today and they'll pay 300 for it. And then somebody else will pay five and somebody else is going to pay a thousand. Um, yeah, I, I think Ooh, I got another good question. Real- I got another good question. Yeah. Um, there are some things that I learned when I first came in on my 22 things I think I've learned that I've realized now are being destroyed because that's the new market that we're in. You know, when I first came in, everybody told me only invest in quarterbacks. Mm. It's not the same anymore. Oh, guys, there's only a market for Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Barry Sanders. I think that we can say that that's no longer the case. I've had people say only invest in scorers in the NBA. And now I'm looking at some of these big guys and watching their go like Hakeem and Shaq. And I'm going, I don't know. I think if you're an all-time big, you're going to be okay. Um, and I, I, I think that there's a lot of traditional hobby knowledge, while it's going to save a lot of people, is also going to prevent people from ever getting into anything because they're going to be relying on it. Do you see that also? Yeah, man. Uh, people come in and they remake the market according to their preferences. Uh, it, it happened with Michael Jordan cards. It was astonishing. Uh, for and you know, I I posted a couple of case studies about this to Instagram when it was happening. Michael Jordan inserts for the longest time ruled his his sports card hierarchy. They were the most important part of it. Uh, you know, they were extremely important. And then we started seeing like when the Last Dance happened. You had, especially because sports professional leagues has been suspended, you had a lot of modern collectors becoming interested in getting involved in Michael Jordan cards. And guess what? They love base cards, right? They love PSA 10 base cards. They just love them. And they started buying those of Michael Jordan. And you and we saw the 1996 Chrome PSA 10 Michael Jordan base card, 26X from last summer to this summer. 26X. It's a $3,000 card now. That, that I could have never anticipated that, but it's real. It happened. It, it is sustained at that price level. The PSA 9 just set a new all-time high two days ago. I saw that come in. Uh, like, so people, new entrants, come into markets, and they can reorder them. And I, and I saw you know, it, the same thing happened from another set. Um, the, uh, the, it, there was once an insert that sold for more than the base card from the same set. After the last dance, it had completely reversed. The multiplier had flipped, and now the base card was selling for more than the insert. The market was reordered, and different things, you know, and it doesn't take that many participants to change a market for a player or for a company. Does that excite you, or does it make you nervous, the fact that three people could set, could change something it, that big? It, uh, for me, I, it scared me in the beginning, and then I thought, if three people are going to change it, and I just saw Steve Aoki post a bunch of cards. And I start thinking about if we all are this confident and three people can do this, imagine what's going to happen. Yeah, man. Like I'm trying to think that perspective less than the manipulation side. Yeah, you, you know, and you're, but you're, you're wise to contemplate both. And so that's why like looking at history uh, is important too. And, and being able to like compare the performance of cards over time matters quite a bit. Um, and, but you know, things can happen and change quickly and the changes is the permanence of the change is going to correlate to the permanence of the people who have implemented the change. And I think that, you know, people come into this hobby and they do not very often leave, even if the thing that brought them in was the gains that they're seeing, 
by the time that they get a couple of cards piled up on their desk and you know they're looking and they're researching and before you know it you're you're in love with the hobby and so like like the beam team right like the shack beam team members only psa 10 for the this is why history matters for the longest time that card and the michael jordan from the same set in the same grade were pretty much the same price you can you can plot the graph you can look at the last 15 years same price the shack is now 4x the jordan 4x that happened during the last dance during the celebration of jordan's career shack 4x the jordan now it's important because that's a shack rookie card so like we, we can see how people would gravitate to that card it's maybe his best rookie card or one of his best rookie cards so we can see how people would gravitate to it and like it but it's it's just amazing that something like that that a market you know relationship can just shift like that uh based on new people coming in and it does happen and, and you have to you can't be like stuck in your ways of saying like this doesn't make sense you know, it, you don't want to be so conservative that, that, that the, the, the hobby just passes you by and you miss what's happening. And then before you know it, you're too late. So I think you're right, man. You strike a balance. Do, try and do both. That's why I would say as someone that is new, but has also tried to re really listen a lot, I think that there are two aspects that are hurting people in the hobby from really getting the most out of it. For people that have been in a long time, they're caught up in the rules and they believe that those rules are the 10 commandments and they should never be changed. And like you're saying, if you don't adapt, you die because that might not be the new normal anymore. New people are afraid that they're late. And so they talk to people like you with wisdom and they hear things like the Luca was worth $50. I could never pay 2000. Now the market is the market. And that's what it is. And so I think that new people are afraid that they're late and people that have been in it are holding on to these rules that don't exist anymore. And if you can just be aware and you're doing the research and you're doing the reading and you're watching the comps and you're kind of seeing how it's going, I think you need in the words of Bruce Lee to be like water. And I think that that's what's holding back the older and the younger people right now. That's how I see it. Very, very well said. Very um, I, I want to talk to you. Do you have cards next to you that you were like, I want to show these? You know, I do. You know, I do. Okay, good. Let's see. You know, I do. All right. I, I, I already pulled this one out because I was hoping we would talk about it, but it's the Jordan PMG red. Uh, PSA 5. I was wondering why you didn't pull it out earlier. What I did appreciate when I talked to Lior, cause he talked about his green is because his whole thing about printing to understand the construct and how hard it is to get there. And what fucked me up with PMGs was early on, I would look and be like, oh, that's a seven. I'll look at an eight. And then I started looking at the pot reports of the PMGs and it's like, there are two sevens that exist and that's it. Right. I didn't realize how rare they were, especially with grading. Yeah, they're, they're very rare. I think most of us who collect them are not overly concerned with the numerical grade. Um, of course, it benefits me to say that being a person who owns a PSA 5, but uh, I don't think we're too concerned with that. Um, Where do you have that in your house on a normal basis? No, no, no. Um, oh, wait, no, where is no. it? Where Do you have it in like in a safe? No, yeah, I keep it in a bank um, in a storage. Do I need to do that? Yeah, you do. You should do that, but that's not enough either. This is a, this is a private conversation that you're all going to listen to. So I just have these in a box. <laughs> in my apartment yeah and yeah. 
And what do you recommend? <laughs> well, so the, the first thing you want to do is you want to uh, research into uh, collectibles insurance. And a lot of benefits come from that. Um, so, so, you know, I'll give a, other than uh, me spending more money. It does. Please tell me the benefits. Um, the, but the rates are reasonable. And you, you like uh, I use collect insure. Um, you can Google them. Uh, I have never had a problem, so I, I can't say how they've worked out in the event that I needed to make a claim. But the service they provide includes coverage of items when in transit. So, like, if you know, you, when you have collect insure, as long as you send items with signature required, uh, you're, they are insured. So, this is especially good for you know people who are doing high end deals. Is that your item is insured? Uh, you know, it, it, it can never hurt to have too much insurance. And I think a lot of hobbyists are very prudent in that fashion, and so we go to great lengths. You know, we meet up if possible, or we, you know, we we try to do and take as much care when as possible. When you do the insurance, do you submit it for the amount that you paid or what the market is saying? You're going to want to. I mean, you can list the item at you know whatever amount you want, right? Uh, if you want to undervalue your item, you could do that. But then, in the unfortunate event that you would need to make a claim, you don't get those gains. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're going to want to. You know, list your items. At so, are you like constantly updating your insurance with the? No, no. So, like, collect insure. I the last time I checked, they require you to uh, list in specific items that are over twenty five thousand dollars. So, like, you need to itemize those. Everything else, you don't need to itemize with them. But obviously, you know, you should have pictures of your collection. You should have a list of it. Uh, you could use the my collection feature and card ladder or something like that. You, you would want to do something like that so that you have record keeping. And, and so that in, if you did need to file a claim, you would have all the tools available to you to do it expeditiously and easily. And I, most collectors are very meticulous record keepers. Anyway, I see you have like notebooks with lists of top 25 players and stuff like that. That's, that's very- Well, the my collection thing, and I got like, I got like Excel spreadsheets where yep. I'll put in like what I bought it for at the time and how much I sold it for and all that. Um, that will be my only note for the card ladder is, and I, I can't imagine what this would be like for saving. And I already said it, which is, you know, when I sell a card, it, it, can it go into a different thing where it's like profit? Because I will say, man, you saw that, I sold that Luca and I watched my, my gains dip and I was like, <laughs> no, I know it's I true. Like, no, it's, my money. It's, it, we are working on that feature as well. Um, so it's, it's very true, but yeah, uh, collectibles, insurance, is is a great way to you know i there are plenty of cars i do keep in a box with so you went to the bank and got that for today yes yes i appreciate that a lot hold it up again give it more airtime the the pmg red man like so when you go there where you're like hey i i need to go to my safety deposit box like how did you do that yeah you have a key and the teller has a key and you you know put them both in you get the thing you get the card out how can i ask how much does it cost to store it there uh, Christina would be the one to ask, but it's, it's not like an exorbitant amount. Cause I've thought about like putting him at like PWCC and stuff, but it's like what you just did. Like I do enjoy looking at them and, and that's the hardest part is like, I live in New York. I live in an apartment. If I get a safe, it'll take up a quarter of my place. But if I have to go, so if I have to like ship them to Oregon, I'm going to miss them. So I don't know what to do. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the great dilemma, man. Uh, you know, you want to, you want to have the card in hand, but, uh, obviously when you get cards with escalating value, you know, 
Okay. So, yeah, show another. Air, air on the side of uh, air, air on the side of caution is what I would always advocate. There, I've got a lot of other Jordan Grails, but I, you know, let me let me show something that appeals to a different segment of collector. Um, fun story behind this card and another one too. This is the Luca uh, Prism Ooh. Gold uh, wow. out of ten. So, wow, that's a sicko. Yeah, this that's a sicko. And the reason that I love cards like that for people that really aren't that deep right now is the gold parallel will carry weight in any year in any set. There's just something about seeing a card that you're familiar with, but the gold version, we saw Kawhi sell for what, six figures recently. Um gold man. So the fact that cuz I do believe the silhouette of that Luca and the 2017 with hold it up one more time. He is flanked by two pillars almost on either side of him. And he fits perfectly in between. It's another reason why I think the Trey young is going to be very iconic. The style of that, the parallelogram, it's a sign of the times. I think that card is going to be emblematic of this boom and the gold version out of 10. Wow. How many of the 10s have been found? All of them? I think, well, guys have looked into this. And across the two companies, I believe 10 have been graded. But we know that at least one is a resub. So guys think that maybe nine, maybe eight, something like that are have been pulled. But I'm it's not like sure. Willy Wonka's ticket, man. There's still one fucking out there. Somebody's <laughs> I, gonna. I think get there it. might be more. I, I think there might be. A, I think that would imply that 80 percent of the 2018-19 Prism wax has been ripped, and I don't think that's the case, especially not at the prices that it jumped to. So I, I think there's. I think maybe there's five or six. How did you acquire that card? So, so last summer, um, we Christina and I. Uh, watched Luca play for a whole year and we got drunk on his highlight reel and we uh, got, we, we specifically got the Mavericks league pass, you know, just watching every game when he missed a game. Cause they started sitting. How did him it for like- start though? How did you decide to watch the Mavericks? How did Christina be like, I want to watch the Mavericks. <laughs> uh, when Christina wants something, it happens. Oh yeah, we know that. I'm, I'm the same. <laughs> no, but but it, dude, it, in this, and in, in let the NBA take note of this. Um, it was the hobby that pulled us into collecting Luca. Uh, I, I was aware of Luca. Uh, I, I found the draft, then the maneuvers that were made to move up to get him very interesting. But then I watched him in preseason, and I, you know, he put up like 14 points or something, and he looked good but you know it was like okay this guy's cool man you know this is cool whatever uh but but then uh 2018-19 prism started coming out and like the hobby was going crazy the lucas silver was the chase card you know he, he had that shot against portland from the corner just like what no you know the super hierarchy shot nobody thought it was going to go in after it goes in like lillard after the game is like this is ridiculous. I don't know what is going on. I knew the shot was going to go in. It even it, So the, the hobby starts going crazy because the hobby loves a new prospect to chase for a year. They just love, love it, right? Love so like Christine and I were To like, watch yeah, these guys break and pull Zions and oh, lose their mind, and they go nuts. it's awesome. Nuts. Yeah. Nuts. It, it, it's just it, – it feeds on itself. Next year it'll be LaMelo. Yep. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Um, 
And so we, we were like, okay, let's open, let's, let's open some 2018-19 Prism Hobby. Let's just do it. You know, we always open boxes. We're like, that's going to be our box this year. And at, at this time, they were 200 to 250 bucks for these boxes. Like it was actually- What do they go for now? What, what are they now? Oh man, I I think the last sale that I saw was three thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. So the those boxes have gone absolutely nuts. But so we were ripping them open left and right, trying to chase the hot prospect, Luca, and and we never hit a silver, man. We 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 went through box after box after box. We never hit one. So we decided, okay, forget these hobby boxes. We want to hit a Luca silver. We're gonna start doing the Walmart Target thing. This was back when you could still find retail on shelves. And so we start ripping through it. We finally hit the Lucas Silver. And by this point in time, like, we're invested in, in him as a player. Like, we want to watch him. We want to see what's happening. I'm just okay, imagining we- all of the, the, the other cards that are sitting around your house that, like, you don't throw away because you love the hobby. But you're like, oh, Ty Jerome. So happy to have 80 of you. Dude, that, that's a whole thing into itself is, like, you start going through boxes of cards that were worth nothing a year ago. And like, oh man, if I get a PSA 10 on this. Dude, I had somebody put me in a break for free because he was like, oh, I'm going to give you a spot. And I got the Grizzlies. I have like 50 Grizzly cards of guys that I don't give a fuck about. (laughs) And I'm just like, I'm like hoping that someone buys one of my cards. And I I ask them who their favorite team is. And I'm just going to throw all of them in the box. I don't. But I can't get rid of them. I don't know what to do. No, that's that's what you do, man. That's that's a great way to to. Let spread the joy of the hobby. But but what happened was, so we started opening product just to get the hot rookie. I mean, when it was back in 2015, 16 product, you know, it was Carl Anthony Towns that we were trying to pull. That's just how you do it, right? And so uh, we got the, but then all of a sudden we got the Luca, and and then uh, something crazy happened. We we went all the way up to upstate New York. We went to Dave and Adams. We just do crazy hobby road trips. <laughs> we we went to Dave and Adams in upstate New York. The the physical location we bought hobby boxes from there. And Christina pulled a Luca Orange out of 49, right? And it, at that time, it was a $1,000 card. I don't even want to know what that card's worth right now because we sold it way too early. So like at this point, we actually have like some Luca cards that are worth some money. And so we start watching him. All of a sudden, you know, he starts going nuts. Uh, it, he, he got all these all-star votes. Um, and, you know, there was an argument that he should have been included. And then, you know, the season starts rolling on. The game that made me a believer was when they beat the Golden State Warriors by like 43 points. Now, the Warriors didn't have Curry, but still, you know, Durant and Draymond and Clay and, and, they, and, and like Dirk was on fire in that game. It was a flukish game, but it, it, it made me like say like there's something exciting happening here like beneath the surface. And then I started looking at his stat splits post-All-Star game, and he was, he was like 25-7-7. And I was like, there's a chance that he could, like, do that his sophomore year. This is an exciting player. We already have some of his cards. Like, like let's, let's go all in. And so the, after uh, National Treasures came out, we picked up the RPA. So we got the National Treasures Luca RPA. Do you have it right in front of you? I do. I do. I do. Yeah, let's see it. If you're going to talk about it, show it. <laughs> no, 100%. I, I agree with that as well. So we picked up this guy. We bought it raw. Um, graded BGS9. Uh, so... We, we picked up that guy, and then uh, I talked to Josh, um, and, and, and Josh was like, okay, you got the RPA, but you need the Prism Gold. Like, you have to pair those cards up. Those are the two most important, iconic cards for this guy. So I, I started hunting for a gold. One shows up on eBay, right? And, like, I, I, 
I didn't have cash, but I had like a bunch of like cards. So like I send the guy this offer. I like took a picture of like 50 cards. I'm like, dude, these cards are worth this much. You know, take the offer. And, and you guy, sent him on eBay. You sent him a screenshot, a picture of all the cards. Yeah. And I, wow. I even like wrote the value of the cards like on the picture. Like, like I was like, dude, this, this look at this lot, man. Just take this trade. And he was like, nah, there'll be too much work to sell all those cards. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. That's why I'm not doing it myself. So then, you know, I, I got creative. Um, I found, I, I put together the cash and I made the guy a cash offer and he took it. And so, you know, it, over the span of like a month, we got the NTRPA and the gold. Did you do it in person or did no, he send no, it this, to you? This, uh, this was from a guy in New Jersey. So like this thing got shipped overnight. Um, and last summer we went nuts. We, we bought a lot of big cards last summer, uh, but we, you know, we had no expectation. I don't think anybody did that Luca would become what he became this season. You know, I, I was like, I'll be happy if, you know, if he, if he's like 25, seven and seven, I would be thrilled. I would be so happy, but. It's, I see him a lot. Like I see Mahomes, yeah. where it's like, if he continues on this pace, he'll be one of the greatest of all time. Like what they've both have already accomplished in their young age is incredible. And to do what he did the other night without Kristaps to carry that team on his back, the, the passes that he makes, the, the thing is to the style of play is so much fun to watch, you know, like, it's what I think the reason that Harden doesn't sell as well is when we get done, like, this is what I'll really say. If you want to zag, James Harden's your guy. Because if that dude wins a championship, when all is said and done and all we do is look at the numbers and the record books, he's going to be right up there. But for people that are watching, I just don't get the same rush out of watching a dude go 25 for 27 from the free throw line. No offense. You're really good at it. And by the numbers, three-point dunk free throw, you're fulfilling Daryl Morey's quota. But, And I know that you step back like Luca. But the difference is, is that, I don't know. It's just more entertaining to watch for me. It really is. Yeah, and there's an underdog thing going on with Luca that will wear off eventually. But That's the thing. The, the NBA always turns on its young stars. Like you mentioned Carl Anthony Towns. Yep. That motherfucker couldn't do anything wrong. And then Jimmy Butler yelled at him in practice and all of a sudden he became soft. Yep. And now he's soft. Yep. You know, it's it's wild to watch it turn on these young guys. It does happen. Um, but playoff moments create legacy. Yeah. And that shot he hit the other day will carry him for a while, I believe. I think so. I in and uh, but it's, you know, am I an idiot for selling that base or was I smart? Um, for selling the base, uh, you know, so I have, I have three of the bits. Um, I got a nine, five still, I got a 10 still. And then I have one that Christina and I got autographed and I have the ticket from the game with it at a Clippers game from his rookie year. And like, I keep those not as investments. Those are novelty items. These are something that like, if I want to ever explain the hobby to somebody, this is a great card to do it. Here's what PSA is. Here's one of the most mass-produced rookie cards ever <laughs> made. Exactly. That, that carries value, you know. And, like, here's BGS. This is what their labels look like. I mean, dude, we had, like, 20 of those. And we were giving them away to people to introduce them to the hobby last year or as gifts to friends. I am taking so much of your time, and I apologize. I know we could talk about this for a long time. I'll just – one, one last thing, I guess – um, 
shit. I mean, we could talk about grading. We could talk about subjectivity. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to do this again soon, and I would love to do one with you and Josh together. Sure. Um, but w- what is something that you're seeing right now that excites you the most? What, what is it? What is it about it? Whether it's a human thing, a card thing, an art thing, what is it right now that that when we get off this phone, this this call, you're gonna like want to get right into? Hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot that that's very exciting about. No, there's so much, man. There's so much, um, dude. You know, uh, I will I will say this: you, Gary. Uh, Steve Aoki, uh, you know, incredibly intelligent people with platforms who love the hobby is very exciting. That's, that's something that, you know, I'm in group chats. I see this stuff get shared. I see people get so excited. Dude, when you put the the Lillard and the Luca Prism base PSA 10s on TV for the whole night, I had, I shared it to my story. I had people messaging me all night. I appreciate it because it's, you have to understand, I wouldn't have gotten that photo. Like I saw other Instagrams took your photo and yep. made it their page. Yep. And the thing is, it's like, I I don't know if anyone's going to see what I'm doing or if they're going to take a picture of it. So I appreciate it. Like, did you notice it right away? Dude, right away. As soon as the happened. So tell me, tell me from your perspective, because I'm sitting there and, and we're in commercial and the director's like getting shots of it close up just in case if we talk about it later, they can use it as B-roll, but it never came up. But I was, I was curious. So you're watching it and it came up and you were like, Oh shit. Oh dude. I started texting everybody. Cause dude, it That's was ballsy, awesome. man. It was, it was ballsy to do. It's not ballsy. It's not. That's, that's what I'm trying to, that's what I was trying to do was, um, this is an acute thing. Yeah. Okay. Like, this is a this is a way of showing the primetime matchup and that and that these are from their rookie years and they're facing off today. Like for me, I want it to because the more you see something, the more normalized it gets and the more familiar we get with it. But I, I guess it was ballsy. My fiance did text me and was like, okay, enough, take them off. I was like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> no, dude, it, it, it was and it, you know, it it's fun, dude. That that's if there's one thing I'm excited about about the hobby. It's that it's so fun. Dude, I, I don't, there's not enough hours in the day to do all the things we want to do to get everything we want to get out of this hobby. And there's so much history. There's so much to learn. There's so many people to talk to. There's so much stuff happening. You know, uh, that, th- that's the thing that I just love about the hobby, man. It's just, it, it has never stopped being ex- exhilarating and fun. And what more can you ask for at the end of the day than to, to have this pastime and to have this recreational leisure activity that becomes an obsession ultimately for many of us. That's just so fun. I mean, fun. do you and Christina, do you just wake up and just start talking about cards immediately? <laughs> we wake up and we check because we're too groggy to talk to each other. So we just go to our group chats on Instagram. And, but I mean like, will you guys like be having lunch and like be, breaking down like possible avenues for like this NFL season and stuff. It's yeah. And it's so, it's like embarrassing to admit that, but like, dude, we talk about Not the at all. I do it to my fiance, but she, her, she rolls her eyes in the first three seconds. I need to like, pretend I'm talking about something else and be like, by the way, that was all about cards. And she's like, fuck, like it's, <laughs> she is not into it at all. Like, like, 
I was texting with people going, hey guys, I'm getting a lot of packages at my apartment. And every time I bring one in, she gets her hopes up. It's for me, it's a card. I recently got her something. And what I did was, this is the day we're recording this, last night she was like, oh, more cards. And I was like, perfect timing. I went into the closet. I got the little bag that I bought her. And I said, you know, I've been treating myself a lot lately. I thought I'd get something for you. And she was like, oh, this is great. And I was like, you know, and I sold one of my cards. I sold a Tyler Hero to get that bag. And she was like, oh, and I'm like, I'm, I'm curious how much time it's going to buy me. I don't know. But you're on the opposite side where it's like, if you got a bag, she'd be like, why didn't you use this for a Lucas Silver? You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, dude, I'm very, very, uh, she and I are both lucky that we both like it and we both like the fact that the other one likes it. And we both collect the same players. Cause like it could go a totally different way, right? Like she, what if she likes Luca and I don't like Luca? Then all of a sudden, right. it, it, are, is there a player that like you've pitched that's been shot down immediately or vice versa? <laughs> no, man. Because we're very like, you know. Yeah, you guys are narrow. You're Jordan and Luca. Yep. Super yep. narrow. Super. Would you recommend that? Because I have an array. And uh, it's, it's very much a PC of like my favorite players and different cards and styles and moments that I really like. Is it is it more beneficial to focus on one? Because I will say that's the, the part of the day that gets lost the most where I'll go down a rabbit hole and then I'll go down a different rabbit hole. Yeah, so uh, I, I often wish I had more players in the PC because when I go to a show or when I'm explaining my collection to somebody – and it's just two players and it's, and they're like, Oh, okay. That's, that's nice. But, but the thing that's great about having just two players is that like you get to go really deep into the canon of each of those players. So like with Jordan, I've owned all the main Jordan cards with like a handful of exceptions. Like I know all those sets. I know all the history of those great Jordan cards. I know all of it. And and that's because I collected him it, exclusively him. So like, I've, I've been able to learn a lot about the hobby uh, and, and about different products and sets by focusing on one player. Same thing with Luca. You know, like I know more than I should about 2018-19 uh, Panini basketball products because like – What the fuck is up with his autograph saying Lulu? And is it did he sign it? Because I've heard stories about Dak Prescott. I've heard stories about Russell Wilson's yep. autos being like coming out the back door. Yep. But like – it's it's so repetitive and it looks like Lulu and it like is there something there? Hey, there might be, man. Um, I'm definitely not a person who's qualified to speak on it, and uh, listeners should discount my opinion because I own the RPA, which is one of the cards in question. Um, it is along oh. with all the prism and all the other stuff. Uh, you know, and there's there's lots of theories, right? People, some people think there's been multiple signers, and so like some are mom. His mom, right? Like, it, I the mom one, you know. I love that one. I love that Luke is out there shooting hoops, <laughs> and she's like, "Baby, I'll take care of the autos." Like a mom helping her kid out with a school project. Yeah, and it and it coheres with everything because his mother is very influential and involved in his career, right? But you know, at the same time, man, you you think about that, um, it, you know he would be defrauding Panini if he did that. And that's very serious, especially, you know, he's a superstar. He's going to get superstar treatment, but 
you do something like that and you're throwing your your citizenship status and your ability to you know be a professional so in you're this saying country, it's authentic yeah all i know is if and when i interview luca i'm giving him a piece of paper and i'm just going to say i just want you to write your first name <laughs> and i'm just going to see and I will do the investigation myself. Do, and I, I can't wait to see what you find because, like, we have an in-person Luca autograph. Oh, you, but you can't compare it, right? Because like one of them looks like it took time to do. Right. Now, yeah. I, the, I don't even the know one if it show up very well. very well. I, you can probably. Yeah, probably it's tough. Doesn't look like the ones on the card, though. No, but at the same time, you know, it was rushed. Yeah, he it might be rushed where that, and also like a national treasure, like writing surface is like beautiful. It's yep. like cardboard. Yep. Okay. But but it is it is uh, it, that topic will never die. You and in fact, there's evidence. So like, uh, the, there's a guy on YouTube named the Luca Show, great collector named G from Northern California, great Steph Curry and Luca collector. He's put together the the most detailed case for why he thinks it is Luca signing, and he's you know there's examples there's stuff that has been signed for the president of Slovenia. There's video of Luca signing something after a Golden State Warriors game. It looks like the loopy autos. So like, and that's and that's another thing about the hobby man. People here do the work. You know, <laughs> that's for sure. you get you get screwed out of a card. I'm going to put together a nine page slideshow exposing you. I don't need to mention all these names, but right now the hobby is policing itself, and I love it. And, and man, you know, thank the hobby gods for that uh, because there are people who just love this hobby and care about it so much, and they will um, they will expose. There's people who live to expose things, and and sometimes they take it too far or they indict somebody before all the facts are in. And that's that can be a problem too. But the, the hobby regulates itself in a way that's, that's very encouraging and it upholds its standards in a way that, you know, it's better than it being the other way around. Chris is one of the very good guys in the hobby. He is someone that right now has a huge voice. I implore you on Friday nights, check out him on Instagram. The Instagram is, is it, what is it? Just Chris underscore HOJ. That's what I thought. Chris underscore HOJ. Him and Josh, you heard from last week, do a little crossover where they talk, listen to the podcast. It's high-level hobby content. Card Ladder is a website that I literally use every day. Uh, It's growing. It's changing. I have the uh, pro one, and I have my collection in there. It's a lot of fun. And, of course, check out his podcast, Alpha Jordan. And his girlfriend, Christina. And I'm not, honestly, some people are saying that Christina's corner might be better than House of Jordan's. I don't know. It it's is. just like hobby conversations. It is. It is. I, there's no doubt about it. She's great too. Uh, Chris, thank you so much, man. Thank really you, man. appreciate thank it. You, All right, brother. I'm the L-E-F-K-O-E, man. We will holla, holla, holla at you later.